0: Chapter 2 of The Story of the World, A Simple History for Boys and Girls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Lisa Marie Duffield. The Story of the World, A Simple History for Boys and Girls by Elizabeth O'Neill. Chapter 2 the Jews and the Phoenicians. The rich lands on which things grew easily, and where men first settled down to live without moving away, were generally found on the banks of great rivers. People cannot live without water to drink, and the soil too must be watered before it will bear fruit. For thousands of years, while tribes were still swarming over Asia and passing into Europe, Lasting settlements had existed near two great rivers, the river Nile in North Africa and the river Euphrates in Western Asia. The country round the banks of the Nile was called Egypt. The Egyptians were a brown people with straight black hair and curious long dark eyes. The country on the right of the Euphrates was called Mesopotamia. The people there belonged to the lighter races. In both these countries, as the years went on, the people had learnt to do many wonderful things which would have been impossible in earlier and wilder times. They learned to know something about the sun and stars. They could count and do sums in arithmetic, and they had learned to build not only houses of brick, but great buildings of stone. And though they did not write as we do, and had not paper and ink, they had a picture writing of their own which they scratched on stones and the walls of their buildings. Many of these pictures remain to this day, and clever men are able to read them and tell us what they mean. In Egypt, The most wonderful buildings of all were great pointed stone monuments, which the old Egyptians built over the graves of their dead kings to do them honor, lest they should be forgotten. These pyramids were built nearly four thousand years before the birth of Christ. And there they stand to this day and people go from far-off countries to look at them as one of the wonders of the world. They are so big and wonderful that the people of today cannot imagine how they were built. The Egyptians, too, made beautiful stone statues, and they must have been very fond of beautiful things. But we must remember that not all the people could enjoy these things, For many of them were slaves, and had to do all the work, and could be bought and sold like animals. It must have kept thousands and thousands of slaves busy cutting the great stones to build the pyramids. Picture Caption The Pyramid Tomb of King Khufu and the Great Sphinx at Giza, Egypt This is the greatest of the pyramids. It was built over 6,500 years ago and is 150 feet higher than St. Paul's Cathedral. End Caption More than a thousand years after the pyramids were built, the Egyptians were conquered by a new people who came out of Arabia. These were a Semitic people, quite different from the Egyptians. It is to this race that the Jews and Arabs belong. All the Semitic peoples seem to have come from Arabia at first. After about two hundred years, the Semites were driven out of Egypt. But long before these Semites went into Egypt, others had crossed the country called Syria and conquered Mesopotamia. They found there a people much more civilized than themselves, but they soon became as civilized as the people around them, and set up great kingdoms. The southeastern part of Mesopotamia was called Babylon, and a great Semitic kingdom was founded there. One of its rulers, called Hammurabi, drew up some famous laws, which he had written down on a great block of stone, on which clever men today can read the laws of the Babylonians two thousand years before the birth of Christ. These laws show that the Babylonians were very highly civilized indeed. The part of Mesopotamia to the northwest of Babylonia was called Assyria, and was nearly always under the same roof ruler as Babylonia. The old writers used to call them both by the one name, Assyria, but it was generally the Babylonians who were the more important people. Clever men who are interested in the story of these old peoples have dug deep down in the ground at different places in these countries, which are now very lonely and wild. They have found there old forgotten temples and walls and tombs, and all sorts of vases and weapons, belonging to different times in the several thousands of years during which the greatness and civilization of the Assyrians and Babylonians lasted. In the British Museum we can see the great bronze gates of a palace built nearly a thousand years before the birth of Christ. They are covered with curious and beautiful sculpture. But many older things than these have been found, and some have been carried away to different countries of Europe. It was in the time of Hammurabi that Abraham, of whom we read so much in the Bible, lived. Up to this time the people of Egypt and Mesopotamia, though they knew so many things, knew very little about each other and the rest of the world. Abraham At last one man travelled from beyond the Euphrates, right across the land of Canaan, which we now call Syria, and into Egypt. This was Abraham, the father of the Hebrew or Jewish people, who were to have such a wonderful history. Abraham was a very rich, wise man, the father of an immense family. He was a Semite who lived in the land of Mesopotamia. But he heard the voice of God telling him to go out from his home, to leave his father and friends, and to go to the land that should be shown to him. In those days people worshipped many gods, but Abraham believed in the one God and he handed on his belief to the people whose father he was. It was from the Jews that after hundreds of years, nearly all the world learned to worship the one God. Abraham traveled out of Mesopotamia into the land of Canaan. He was a rich man and the head of a tribe of about 1,200 people. Besides the family and followers of his nephew Lot, Who travelled with him? Abraham was head of all and led the rest. He went on before dressed in a bright scarlet robe. His wife and children probably rode on donkeys or camels. There were many of these, and on their backs the men servants and maid servants piled Abraham's great possessions his clothing and that of his family, the tents in which they slept food, and the things with which to cook it, and what hangings and coverings were used. Other slaves drove the great herds of sheep and cattle belonging to Abraham and Lot. It was Abraham who said where they should travel and where they should stop. Generally they were moving up and down amidst the rich pasture-lands and the beautiful groves of oak in the land of Canaan. Which God had promised should belong to him and to his children's children forever. Generally, too, Abraham and his people travelled under a cloudless sky of blue, and all must have been gay and happy. But there was a dark side to this free and happy life. Sometimes no rain would fall for many days, and the grass would dry up under the blazing sun and there was no water for man or beast to drink. Corn would not grow, and there was little or nothing to eat. It was the dead time of famine. At one time when famine fell thus upon the land, Abraham led his people further and further south into the rich land of Egypt, where they could have water and bread. Here Abraham saw for the first time the wonderful land of the pyramids, with its temples and its statues. It was even hotter in Egypt than in the land of Canaan. Half the year it had soft spring weather, and for the other half a scorching summer. But it was a rich land, and generally had much corn. The great river Nile, which runs through the land, and which the Egyptians worshipped as a god, overflowed its banks each year, and the water spread over the lowlands, fertilizing the crops. Having done its work, the river shrank again to its ordinary size. Sometimes the Nile did not rise, and then the people were sad, for nothing would grow. But there was so much corn in the years of plenty that it could be stored up to feed the people in the days of famine. It was at a time of famine in the land of Canaan that Abraham led his people into Egypt, where there was corn for all. Picture Caption How an Ancient Egyptian Painted the Coming of the Israelites into Egypt from a painting on the walls of a tomb at Beni Hassan, Egypt, made nearly 4,000 years ago. It may very easily represent Israelites as the Egyptians saw them when Abraham went with his people into Egypt in the time of famine. End Caption The Pharaoh, or Egyptian king, welcomed him and gave him corn and rich presents. And Abraham taught the Egyptians things about the stars which he had learnt in Mesopotamia, and which the Egyptians did not know. When the famine was over, Abraham went again out of Egypt into the beautiful land of Canaan. But he had now so many people that his servants and those of his nephew Lot quarreled about the pasture lands, And Abraham thought it best that they should separate. He took his nephew to the top of a hill where they could look down upon all the land of Canaan, and told him to choose which part he would take for himself. Lot chose the rich country that lay round the banks of the river Jordan, and Abraham was content with another part of Canaan. There were other tribes besides those of Abraham and Lot in the land of Canaan, and when one of these, called the Elamites, fought against Lot and carried him and his people off as prisoners, Abraham went to their rescue and brought them safely back. It was on his way back from this expedition that Abraham met Melchizedek who was a priest and also ruler of one of the many cities which were spread about the land of Canaan. Melchizedek also worshipped the one God and offered to him a sacrifice of bread and wine instead of animals or fruits, which were the common sacrifices of the time. Melchizedek felt himself drawn to love Abraham and offered him the tenth part of all he possessed. But Abraham would take nothing for himself or his own people, but only for the men who had joined their servants to his in the battle. When Abraham had gone back to his home, it was revealed to him that he should become the father of a great nation, to which the land of Canaan should belong in the end, though it must suffer much and be carried into captivity after his death. Now Sarah, the wife of Abraham, had not any children. She was already ninety years old, for people lived to a great age in those days. And Abraham wondered how his children's children could become as many as the stars in heaven if he had not even one child. But Sarah had a son as had been promised, and they called him Isaac. Sarah lived to see her boy grow to be a man, and was buried at the age of one hundred and twenty-seven years in the cave of Hebron, which Abraham bought to be a burying place for himself and his family. Through Isaac Abraham was the father of the Jews, But he had other children with other mothers, and through these he became the father of other nations. His son Ishmael, whose mother was Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar, was the first of an Arab tribe, and six sons of Abraham by a second wife founded other tribes. These families went out from the land of Canaan, leaving it to Isaac, the son of Sarah. When Isaac had grown to be a man, Abraham sent a servant to seek a wife for him in his old home in Mesopotamia. Men now travelled much oftener between Mesopotamia and Egypt across the land of Canaan. The servant prayed that he might have a sign to show him how to choose a wife for his master's son. He asked that the maid who was the one to choose should give him water to drink when he asked her and offered to draw some from the well for his camels too. One evening when he had made his camels lie down near a well outside a town, he saw a beautiful girl coming to the well with a pitcher on her shoulder to draw water. He asked her to give him water to drink, and she immediately filled the pitcher and gave it to him, and then drew more for the camels. The servant knew then that she was the wife whom he was seeking for Isaac. He went back with her to her brother's house, and bringing forth precious gifts of silver and gold, he asked that Rebekah might go back with him to be Isaac's wife. And so she did. Isaac and Rebekah loved each other at first sight. They had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau grew up to be a strong man. His skin was covered with hairs, and he loved hunting. He was his father's favorite. But Rebekah loved Jacob best. One day, when Esau came in tired and very hungry from hunting, he found Jacob cooking some food for himself, and he begged him to give it to him. Jacob said he would if Esau would promise to give up to him his rights as eldest son. So Esau sold his birthright for a mess of pottage, and Jacob, though he was the younger son, became the head of the children of Abraham. Jacob, by covering himself with the skins of kids, pretended to his father Isaac that he was Esau and Isaac gave him his solemn blessing. Then Jacob went away to the land of Mesopotamia to find a wife. He loved Rachel, the younger daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban promised her to him as his wife if he would work for him for seven years. Jacob did this. But Laban then said he would give him his elder daughter Leah, and he must serve seven years more for Rachel. In those days men could have several wives. At the end of another seven years Jacob won Rachel, and he always loved her best. Leah had six sons, and Rachel only two, Joseph and Benjamin. And these two Jacob loved best for their mother's sake. After the birth of Joseph, Jacob took his wives and children and all his possessions and went back again into the land of Canaan. Here his sons grew up, and Jacob always loved Joseph best. He loved to dress him in beautiful clothes, and he gave him a wonderful coat made of different colored stuffs. Joseph had eleven brothers altogether. Some of them were jealous of Joseph and wanted to kill him. One day when they were far away from home looking after their father's sheep, Jacob sent Joseph with a message to them, but they took his beautiful coat from him and sold him to some merchants who were travelling into the land of Egypt. Then they dipped his coat in the blood of a kid which they had killed and sent it to their father. Jacob was broken hearted, for he thought that a wild beast had killed and eaten Joseph, and that it was his blood which stained the coat. But Joseph was sold in Egypt and became a servant to Potiphar, a captain in the palace of the Pharaoh. The pharaoh at this time was probably one of the Semitic conquerors of Egypt, and so was friendly towards other Semites. Joseph had many strange adventures in Egypt. At one time he was shut up in prison through the wickedness of Potiphar's wife, who told her husband that Joseph had done wrong things which he had never done. While he was in prison, he was able to tell some of the other prisoners the meaning of some strange dreams they had had. Then the Pharaoh had a dream which troubled him, and which none of the wise men in Egypt could explain to him. Pharaoh was told of this servant in prison who could tell the meaning of dreams. So Joseph was sent for to go before the Pharaoh and hear the dreams. Joseph in Egypt. The pharaoh had dreamed that he stood upon the bank of a river, and out of the river came seven beautiful fat cows and began to feed on the banks. Then again came seven thin, ugly cows, and they ate the fat cows up, but did not look any fatter themselves. Then the pharaoh woke up and fell asleep again and dreamed another dream. In this dream he saw a stalk of corn with seven full ears of grain on it, but beside these were seven small ears which spoiled the others. Then Joseph told the pharaoh that the dreams meant that there would be seven years of plenty in Egypt, but that they would be followed by seven years of famine. He advised the pharaoh to choose a wise man to rule over the land for him, and to store up corn in great barns during the years of plenty, so that there should be food for the people in the seven years of famine. The pharaoh was so pleased with Joseph that he said he should be the ruler. He took a ring from his own hand and put it on Joseph's finger, and dressed him in a beautiful robe of silk with a gold chain round his neck. And so Joseph was the greatest man in Egypt after the Pharaoh. During the seven years of plenty he stored up corn and barns, and then came the seven years of famine, and he gave the corn out to feed the hungry people. But the famine spread over the land of Canaan too, And Jacob, hearing that there was corn in Egypt, sent his sons to see if they could buy some. They went to Joseph, who knew them at once, though they did not know him. He was so overcome at the sight of them and the memory of his father, that he turned away and cried. All the brothers had come except Benjamin. And Joseph gave them corn and put their money back again in the top of their sacks. But he said they must come again and bring their brother Benjamin, for he longed to see him, as he was his brother by the same mother. To make quite sure he kept one of the brothers, Simeon, saying he would not set him free until Benjamin should come. So the brothers went sadly back to their father, for they knew it would be a great sorrow to him to let Benjamin leave him. Jacob was indeed sad when he heard that Simeon was left behind in Egypt, but he declared he could never let Benjamin go. But soon the corn they had brought was eaten, and the brothers reminded their father that they could only get more if they took Benjamin to the governor of Egypt, who was so strangely interested in him. Reuben, one of the brothers who had tried to save Joseph when the others wanted to kill him— promised that whatever happened he would bring benjamin safely back so they went again into egypt and joseph received them with great kindness though he had to leave them for a time to hide his tears so overcome was he at the sight of his brother benjamin he again filled their sacks with corn but told his servants to put a silver cup into benjamin's sack The sacks were placed upon the camels' backs, and the brothers started for home. But when they had gone part of the way, Joseph sent servants after them to bring them back, saying they had stolen his silver cup. The brothers were indignant, and so sure of their own honesty, that they said they would leave behind as slave to Joseph the one in whose sack the cup should be found. The sacks were emptied, and the cup found in Benjamin's sack. Then Joseph told the other brothers that they could go home, but he would keep Benjamin. They fell on the ground and told him that they would rather all stay as slaves than face their father without the son he loved best. Then Joseph could no longer keep his secret, but sent everyone else away, and then told his brothers That he was Joseph, whom they had sold into Egypt. At first they were afraid, but he told them not to fear, and kissed them all, especially Benjamin. Then he sent them to bring his father to see him, and Jacob, full of joy, came with all his tribe and everything he had and settled down in the land of Egypt. And here the Israelites, as his people were called, lived for many years, until long after Jacob and Joseph and all his brothers were dead, and many pharaohs too had ruled and died. The story of Moses The Israelites became so strong, and there were so many of them, that the new pharaoh, who was probably an Egyptian and not a Semite, was afraid that they would become stronger than the Egyptians themselves. So he ordered that they should do all the hardest work, building cities for him and making bricks. But still the Israelites grew strong, and there were more and more of them. Then the Pharaoh said that every baby boy born to the Hebrews, as the Egyptians called them, should be killed he thought that through this there would be none among them to grow up to be men and so the hebrew people would be destroyed but some of the mothers managed to hide their babies and keep them safe there was one woman who hid her baby until he was three months old and then when she found she could not do so any longer she put him in a basket and laid him on the banks of the river Nile, among the bulrushes. She left him there, and his elder sister stood a little way off to see what would happen to him. Just then an Egyptian princess, the daughter of the pharaoh, came down to the river to bathe. She saw the basket, and sent one of her maids to bring it to her. When the princess saw the baby lying inside it, crying, she felt very sorry for it and said she would adopt it as her own. Then the baby's sister came and offered to find a nurse for the child. She brought her mother, and the princess gave her the baby to take care of until it was grown up. She called him Moses. And when he was grown up to be a young man, he was taken to live at the palace. But he always remembered that he was a Hebrew, and he longed to save his people, who were still cruelly treated by the Egyptians. At last Moses begged the Pharaoh to allow him to lead his people out of the land of Egypt into Canaan again. But the Pharaoh would not. Then all sorts of trouble fell on the Egyptians, and at last, fearing that God was angry with him because he would not let the Hebrews go, the pharaoh said they might go, as they had asked, to sacrifice to God in the desert. But the Hebrews went forth at night out of the land of Egypt, never to enter it again. They were led by Moses and his brother Aaron, who was a priest. AND THEY STARTED ON THE JOURNEY THROUGH THE DESERT TO THE LAND OF Canaan, WHICH THEY CALLED THE PROMISED LAND. IT WAS FORTY YEARS AFTER ALL BEFORE THEY REACHED IT, AND DURING ALL THOSE YEARS OF WANDERING IN THE DESERT THEY HAD MANY STRANGE ADVENTURES. SOMETIMES THEY WOULD GRUMBLE AGAINST GOD AND WISH THEMSELVES BACK IN EGYPT. SOMETIMES THEY SET UP IDOLS AND WORSHIPPED THEM. This made Moses very angry and very sad. Once while he was away on a mountain praying, the faithless people made an image of a calf out of brass and fell down and adored it. Moses was so angry when he came back that he smashed the calf to pieces and ground it to powder. Then he sprinkled it in water and made the people drink it as a punishment. The Ten Commandments It was while he was on the mounted praying that Moses was inspired to write down on tablets of stone the Ten Commandments, which have been handed down from generation to generation for good people to keep, even to our own day. Moses never entered the promised land, but died within sight of it. The Israelites settled down in it, and at first shared it with other strange tribes, but gradually won it for themselves. Many wonderful stories are told in the Bible of the battles with the other tribes, and the brave men like Gideon and Samson, who helped to win the whole land of Canaan for the Jews. Soon the Jews stopped wandering about with large flocks and herds, and instead became an agricultural people and cultivated the land. They learned many things from the tribes round about, and became more and more civilized. In time they chose a king for themselves. Picture Caption A portrait carved in stone by an Egyptian of a king of Israel. From a bas relief at Karnak, said to be a portrait of Rehoboam. End Caption Their first king was Saul, a handsome man, taller than any of the people. He was a great fighter. While Saul was still alive there was a young boy called David, who killed a giant called Goliath, and many other enemies of the people. So that the people sang, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, which made Saul very jealous. He tried to kill David, but Saul's son Jonathan loved David more than a brother, and helped to save him from the anger of the king. David became king after Saul, and Jonathan was content that it should be so. David did many wrong things, but he was always very sorry for them afterwards. He loved God very much, and many of the Psalms, the beautiful hymns in the Bible, are said to have been written by David. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. After David his son Solomon became king. The Jews were by this time a great people. They had conquered their enemies, and Solomon was a man of peace. It was he who built the wonderful temple at Jerusalem. It was built of cedar wood and overlaid with pure gold, and carved with wonderful statues and tracery. Solomon had had the cedar wood, and many of the other things which he used for the temple, brought from Phoenicia, a land which lay on the coast of north of Canaan. Hiram, king of Tyre, one of the chief towns of Phoenicia, was a great friend both of David and Solomon. Picture caption Ships of the King of Tyre in the Arabian Gulf from an Assyrian stone carving made about 2,500 years ago. End caption The Phoenicians were Semites too, and a very rich people, They were the first people we know of who made boats for themselves and sailed away across the sea to strange lands. In the days of Hiram the Phoenicians had learned to build quite big ships. At first they had only known how to build little rough boats, and had sailed carefully along the coast of Canaan from place to place, carrying their precious woods to other people and carrying back in exchange corn and oil and things which did not grow in their own land. Later, when new tribes like the Israelites poured into the land of Canaan, the Phoenicians pushed nearer and nearer to the coast, and began to depend more and more on their trade with other lands. Gradually they ventured away from the coast across to the island of Cyprus, which they could see in the distance, and then gradually they sailed right through the Mediterranean Sea, touching at the coasts of North Africa and Spain, into what is now the English Channel. And from the south of Britain they carried back beautiful pearls to their own land. When Solomon saw how rich and great the Phoenicians had become through their trade, He built himself a fleet of ships, and Hiram lent him men to build them. When they were made, Hiram sent sailors to teach the Israelites how to manage them. And so Phoenicians and Israelites together sailed through the Red Sea to Arabia, and on to India, and from the wonderful east they brought back gold and silver and all kinds of precious things. The reign of Solomon was the time during which the Israelites were richest and greatest. After his death the northern tribes broke away from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, who lived in the south of Canaan. The north had one king and the south another, and in time they became separate peoples. The northern tribes mixed with other peoples in the land of Canaan, and together they became known as the Samaritans, whom we read of in the life of our Lord. The tribes of Judah and Benjamin, with their capital and glorious temple at Jerusalem, did not mingle with the other peoples, but remained a race apart, and to them the name of Jews was left. They did not long remain an independent people. Before long, Assyria conquered nearly all the land of Asia, round the rivers Tigris and Euphrates, and westward to the sea. The Jews fought hard against the Assyrian king, Sennacherib, and the Egyptians helped them. We read in the Bible how they were saved for a time, for a plague fell upon the Assyrians. But a hundred years later the Jews were carried captive into Babylonia, and kept there for seventy years, for the Assyrians and Babylonians often carried off whole nations whom they had conquered in this way. The ruler of Assyria at this time was Nebuchadnezzar. He was a great soldier, but he was also a great builder. He had made for him the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which were one of the seven wonders of the world. Seventy five arches were built, one on top of another, and at the top of all were gardens of trees and flowers. Nebuchadnezzar was a great builder of walls and temples too, and many of these have been dug out and golden figures of gods and gold tables and ornaments have been found. The Jews were very unhappy in Babylon, as we read in the Bible, but at last they were allowed to go back to their own land. Picture Caption Jews bewailing the captivity at the old wall of Solomon's temple. End Caption During all this time the Jews often forgot the worship of the one God, and the observance of the law of Moses, and fell into idolatry, and all the wickedness of the people round about them. But they never quite forgot, and though they never again became a great people, it was from them that the great new religion of Christianity was in time, to spread over the world meanwhile the jews were subject to the new races which one after another raised great conquering kingdoms in europe or asia or in both end of chapter 2 read by lisa marie duffield of duffielddiscovery.org on may 6 2021